calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 124. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, any fan of the Drabblecast and Drabble News knows how much respect and admiration we have for our mentors, Fox News, the masters of badass, confusing, irrelevant, hyperbole-laden hearsay. I mean, finally, there's a news station that's not afraid to take boring, monotonous old reality and strip it of all its staunchy science. We bring you Drabble News. From Fox News, Robotic Technology Incorporated has made a military robot called Eater. That stands for Energetically Autonomous Tactical Robot. This robot, according to Fox, can find, ingest, and extract energy from biomass in the environment, and other organically-based energy sources, as well as use conventional and alternative fuels, such as gasoline, kerosene, diesel, propane, coal, etc., when suitable. That biomass and, quote, other organically-based energy sources wouldn't necessarily be limited to plant material. Animal and human corpses contain plenty of energy, and they'd be plentiful in a war zone. I've dreamt of this day all of my life. A day when mankind would finally realize our effect on the environment and finally take drastic steps to do something about it. Our military is going green. Together, you and I can make a difference when we kill people. Stand with me now. Yes, we can, Deathbots. Yes, we can. No, actually, turns out we can't. Robotic Technology Incorporated announced earlier this month they had no idea that their proposed machine would set off one of humanity's worst nightmares, the dawn of an artificially intelligent race of self-sufficient mechanical devices with a hunger for human flesh. 
The company quickly quelled last week's clamor and effectively took a big stinking duke on everyone's dreams when they announced that Eater will, in fact, be a vegetarian, not a carnivore. In an official statement, Robotic Technologies said, and I'm not making this up, they really said, We completely understand the public's concern about futuristic robots feeding on the human population, but that is not our mission. I know, I know. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. Jeez. Robotic Technologies then went on to say something else lame about over-sensationalized news and crimes against humanity and the Geneva Convention, blah, blah, blah. All I know is the conversation started to drift from carcass-fueled zombie bots and, frankly, I don't give a f***. But don't despair. All hope is not lost, for several reasons. One, of course their official answer is going to be something like, No, no, God, you guys have it all wrong. Human bodies? Gross. Corpse-fueled robots? Come on. I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm disappointed in you. I mean, why would we make futuristic robots that feed on human corpses? That's, that's not even our mission. These are vegetarian robots. So, if anything, they're just a little smug and self-righteous. You got nothing to worry about, okay? Corpses-fueled robots. And second, of course, uh, if these hippie vegetarian robots are anything like the hippie vegetarian people I know, you know they're going to slip up occasionally and nibble a corpse here and there when nobody's looking. Come on. So, how about a hundred-word Drabble story? This week's Drabble comes to you from Amory Lowe, and it's called Navy Wife. Amory is a student who devotes most of his free time to reading, writing, and sins of the flesh. He used to host his own podcast, but due to lack of time and money, had to shut down, although he's recently done some voices for the Dune Steve podcast. He lives in Temp, Arizona with his brother, who is also a wannabe writer. On Monday, the Navy chaplain came to her door. I'm sorry for your loss, was all she heard before she started crying. On Tuesday, she didn't leave the bed. On Wednesday, she received a letter from her husband. She read the first sentence, him complaining about the food, before she sobbed herself to sleep. Another letter came on Thursday, post-dated after his death. The letter had one line. Why won't you write? On Friday, she thought herself crazy. On Saturday, she broke. On Sunday, she began writing her letter to him. On Monday, the Navy chaplain came to her door. Yep, this week's Drabblecast is about ghosts. Or is it? Hmm. Our feature story this week is called Ghosts and Simulations by Ruthanna Emrys. Ruthanna lives in Chicago with her wife, two neurotic cats, and relatively stable boa constrictor. Her work has previously appeared in Analog and Strange Horizons, while her occasional blog can be found at ashneystrike.livejournal.com, which we'll have in our show notes. 
This story first appeared in Strange Horizons, and has also been reprinted in Hebrew in Mercury Magazine. So without further ado, Ghosts and Simulations by Ruthanna Emrys. You're looking for people to mind the ghosts, I asked as I signed for the copay. Uh-huh, here, fill this out. The secretary didn't bother to look up from her computer as she pushed the application pad at me, let alone correct my terminology. Later, I learned that people call clients much worse things. If I'd said zombies or simulations, she would have told me they were hiring janitors. Afterwards, I sat by Leanne's hospital bed. She squeezed my hand. I squeezed back, gently, so she wouldn't know how weak her grip had become. It's a great idea, she said. I like the thought of you taking care of me after I'm dead. She could say it so easily now. We just need the money, I said. I dropped out of grad school after her diagnosis, after the failures of the first three series of injections, after the confirmation that the cancer was nano-resistant. The virus mutated too quickly for our little machines to rescue her. I pictured it sometimes, while she was doing her own visualizations, a clever creature, an old-fashioned, mustache-twirling villain cackling in the fortress of my wife's body. And eventually, We'll be together again. We can let our minds flow into each other, see each other's thoughts. <laughs> Do you ever wonder if the ghosts are having telepathic sex in their computers? Leanne. I glanced at the next bed, but the teenage kid who shared her room was asleep. I brushed my wife's forehead with my free hand, trying belatedly to smile. I'm sorry, Jim. Another squeeze, light as dust. I just miss making love. It feels like it would be something clean. All this medical stuff, the doctors, the chemo, they're just trying to keep you alive. I know, but it's not going to work. It might. It won't. I can tell. Her hand relaxed, her eyes drifting shut. But I'm going to live forever anyway. Melissa wasn't bad once you got to know her. She did more than hand out applications, too. When she got out from behind the desk, I saw that she had a pistol holstered to her waist. For keeping the wackos out, she explained. If she shot anyone, I asked, did she have to make sure they were backed up? Don't want to get blood on the scanners, she'd said, shaking her head. They're expensive. You sort of got the catch-all job, she told me. Oh, what am I catching? I tried to sound cheerful, but the place felt like a graveyard to me. That was entirely in my head. Bright paint, nice office furniture, landscapes on the walls, all combined to give the personality support center the feel of anything but... Only the terminal room was dimly lit and shaped to mute sound so that every conversation became a whisper. 
The families wanted it that way. I suppose nobody wants to talk to their dead uncle in a cubicle. Oh, lots of things, she said. You keep an eye on visitors, see if they need anything, make sure they don't do anything dumb or evil, water if they need it, or handkerchiefs. If they start screaming at a client, you toss them, or make them rent a private room. You'd be amazed at how many people think they're going to win a fight with mom here that they've been losing for 20 years at home. Okay, keep people from beating up their dead relatives. Got it. Ooh, don't call them dead in front of visitors, unless they say it first. Also, you keep an eye on the clients. They talk to each other. There's a monitor you can look at. I'll show you later. But they're stubborn. They don't change their minds much, so they get into loops sometimes. You separate them, distract them, ask them about themselves. You were in sociology, you said. Um, just my first year. Oh, it'll help. On the applications, we look for sociology, psychology, customer service. Clients can be pretty strange, but they're still people. Are they? I asked. It wasn't a challenge. I'd just read enough arguments to be curious what she thought. You don't believe it. You can walk out right now. She was nauseous earlier, but she's sleeping now, said the nurse. Still, when I came in, Leanne's eyes opened. For a moment, she looked just like she always had, waking up at home, lids fluttering, not really seeing yet, but a little smile on her face. I swallowed. Hi, I, I brought you something. Oh, show me. She started to hold out her arms, but grimaced instead, and pressed the button that gave her a little more painkiller. Her face relaxed, but the smile was gone. You wanted a wig, you said. I pulled it from the canvas shopping bag, unfolding it carefully and smoothing out the strands. Oh, my favorite color. Well, you put it on me. I untied the scarf and fit the sea green anime cut over her skull. I let my hand rest on her shoulder and she leaned against it, eyes closed. I love you, she whispered, quiet as a conversation in the terminal room. Ray needs a hookup today, said Melissa when I came in. Got to lecture at a conference somewhere in California. I'm checking network security at the other end. Can you do the authorizations? Sure. Ray had been the first PSC client, sort of a pioneer. I took the notepad and stylus and started tabbing through forms. So who gets paid when a dead guy gives a talk? Do we get the money? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be nice? His estate gets it. I found the form. I scribbled my signature under permissions. You know, it could be worse, she said. There was a case around five years back. Said they were recordings we were playing for them. Every time one of them talked for money, we were supposed to pay a license fee. Hey, that was smart. Can dead lawyers take on cases if no one living wants them? I always felt bad about telling lawyer jokes. I could feel my mom sighing and shaking her head. <laughs> Not if the judge can tell they're dead. Hard to figure out, though. The rest of the morning was dull. In the afternoon, we had a commencement service. The family came directly from the cemetery, the mother still dabbing at her eyes. The father kept saying, It's okay, honey, he's right here. And a pair of little twin girls kept asking when they could see Thane. Poor kid had gotten sideswiped on the way back from his senior prom. 
I wondered how often they'd bothered to get backups for an 18-year-old. The priestess didn't seem to know them that well. I guessed they were from one of these sects that didn't approve of computerized resurrection and had found this lady in directory assistance. The soul that shines in the body is carried by the mind, she said. The mind that expresses the soul lives so long as we maintain it. Thane Meza, 18 years fleshly, is still with us. We bless the continuation of his life. I'm always impressed by the lengths people will go to believe that God wants what they want. I count myself as a nervous agnostic. If a deity exists, I'd rather avoid his, her, or its notice. In a way, I thought that might be an advantage of the uploading process. If the soul was tied to the mind, then heaven, and judgment, could wait. The mother handed me the backup disc, unnecessary, but a nice touch of ceremony. I carried it out of sight to the terminal. I clicked on Thane Maze's file, fantasizing, as I always did, that someday we'd find a client who turned out to be an ideal word processor or video game, a talent that would only be discovered at this moment of rebirth. So far, though, they all seemed to be people, or something passing for people in death as in life. A long stream of ASCII eventually ended in, Where am I? The scanner? I'm blind. I can't feel. Help. This, Melissa had explained, was why we didn't let families perform the initial boot themselves. You're not blind, I typed. You are in the Personality Support Center. Remember how you came here to get backups. Once your program is integrated, you'll have voice interface, audio-visual input, and an avatar. But for now, you're text only. I'm dead? Physically, yes. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I'm Jim, by the way. I'm thin. Shit. I don't. Excuse me. I didn't mean to say that. How did K percent? How did... what... happened? You got in a car accident. You were leaving your prom. There was a drunk driver. I'd found early on that it was a bad idea to soften things. Another reason not to leave this part to the families. Is... is Nessa in date? Nessa, is she okay? Melissa, thankfully, had checked on his date. She's in the hospital with a broken arm, but they say she'll be fine. But I thought her name was Wendy. Oh, Nessa. Nessa must have said, said no. Good, good. Are my parents here? In the next room. I figured I'd give you a chance to panic where no one could watch first. Thanks. I'd better go talk to them. The twins will be scared. This doesn't feel right. I could see Thane beginning to adapt to the text interface. We'd probably still get typos and expressed private thought, but the curve should drop off. I'm told you adjust pretty quickly. Are you sure you're ready to talk to them? I can give you a couple more minutes at least. I want to talk to T-H-E-M. I want to... I want to talk to someone I know. I won't sound sound scared, I promise. Skin is pain. 
whispered Leanne. That sounds like the lyrics to a bad song. I ran my hand across her forehead, dry and hot. You feel that? Skin is more than pain. That burns. I pulled my hand away, stung and ashamed of it. Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry. Here. She twitched her fingers, a jerk that was as close to reaching as she could manage today. I took her hand and stroked it. It shook a little, and I wondered if I was still hurting her. Everything burns or itches or stings, she went on. I almost scratched my eyes out this morning without even thinking about it. The sheets are like sandpaper. Even ice cream feels like a knife in my throat. There are going to be bad days, I said, feeling like a shit. There aren't good days anymore. I'm tired, Jim. I'm done with this body. I want to stop the chemo. Not yet. I wasn't sure who I was talking to. Not just Leanne, but whoever had made her sick. God, if existing, meant he or she or it had to listen. I'm not done yet. I need you. Let me out then. I'll still love you when the pain is gone. You won't. What was I supposed to say? I worked with the clients every day. I heard them tell their families that they still did love them. I saw their lovers crying in the lobby sometimes. I can't hold you when you're a ghost. Her lips were cracked. They'd bleed again if I kissed her. I wiped the streak of wetness from beneath her eyes as gently as I could. She almost managed to hide the flinch. It would feel so good, she whispered. I don't want to hurt anymore. I want to be happy again. And you'll be with me soon. We'll be together. Our thoughts... She'd run out of strength for words, but her eyes were open and wet. I shook my head. Her eyes widened, pleading, then closed in pain. All right, I said, not sure if she could still hear me. You win. You always did. I closed my own eyes and felt the sting of salt water beneath the lids. How are you settling in? I asked. Audio-visual interface working okay? Yeah. Thane's simulated voice sounded like a teenage boy, but also definitely had a bit of automated telephone system in it. The CGI avatar built off his photos still jumped a bit. That would smooth out over time, but even the older ones always felt a bit off to me. Ray's been showing me around. The others are all very nice, but too many old people. It was the eyes, I decided. It made sense that the avatars wouldn't meet your eyes directly. After all, they were getting their input from the cameras above the screens. What do you think of Ray? I'd talked with our senior spirit a few times. He was optimistic to a fault, enough to make me want to smack him after a bad night at the hospital. I guess that was one of the advantages, at least for some people, of being non-corporeal. No possible physical repercussions from the exasperated. He likes being dead. He says he can think faster. 
He showed me how to speed read, though I think the books he wrote when he was alive are more interesting. I didn't know you were the sort of guy to read philosophy. Hey, I've got a lot of time now. What else am I going to do? What did you do when you were alive? I asked. I read some. Not as much. Played football. Can't do that. Wrote dumb poetry about girls. <laughs> no point in that now, either. Do you like being dead? I knew I shouldn't ask that, but it had been a bad night. I wanted to know. I don't know. Maybe. That's all? He shrugged. It beats nothing. His avatar flickered and cleared again. He didn't seem to notice. Melissa and I went out for Ty before I went to the hospital. Our post-work dinners weren't dates. She wasn't my type, and I wasn't hers, and I wasn't that much of a shit anyway. But it was good to talk to someone who didn't know Leanne, and who didn't try to pretend there was nothing wrong with her. I hope I won't be knocked down to janitor for this, I said. But do you ever feel like there's something a little off about some of the clients? Or, or am I just being oversensitive? We get that sometimes, she admitted. She poked at the plate of pad thai with her chopsticks. Sometimes I think the problem is with the live folks, sometimes with the dead. Lots of people argue about it, just not in front of the families. Some of the clients even argue about it. Yeah, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, it's mostly the folks that weren't sure about the whole thing, even beforehand. You've noticed they mostly have the opinions now that they did when they were alive. Uh, embodied, I mean. Most living people don't change their minds easily either, I pointed out. That's true, too. You see the problem. Plenty of live folk wouldn't pass for humans so well, if you wanted to doubt them. What do people think is wrong? Uh, the ones who think there's anything wrong, I mean. Some people think it's the soul, she snickered. Like they're undead or something. That's where the whole zombie thing came from. Makes me want to start wearing a cross just to show that the computers won't burst into flames. Melissa was a dyed-to-the-wool atheist, born and raised, secure in her non-faith. Is that the only thing? No, it's just the funniest. She scooped up a bit of noodle and took a moment to think while she ate. You know, we have people who come in and do psych tests on the clients, for calibration or just for their own experiments. Mostly they look like you or me, but there are some ways they seem to learn differently. Nothing anyone can agree on, and I haven't seen any useful numbers. Maybe it's just our imagination, or maybe the resolution on our scanners isn't perfect yet. Maybe it's that we're just scanning the brain, I said. The brain is you, said Melissa. She reached over and tapped my forehead for emphasis. Everything you are is here. The rest is just a shell. That's what I'm wondering about. I was talking to the new kid earlier. He's already gone from writing adolescent love poetry to reading tracts of tech philosophy. And I was thinking, when I feel something, when I love Leanne, my heart beats faster. Hormones flood into my system. I want to touch her. Or when you try to calm down, when you're mad or upset, the first thing you do is try to control your breathing. I stopped for a moment to do just that. 
Air, smelling of ginger and chili pepper, filled my lungs. It's all physical. Maybe there's a part of the self that's in the breath, the blood, the pain of healing wounds, and the itch of mosquito bites. You think we need simulated mosquitoes? That'll thrill the clients. I don't know. It had been more than I meant to say. Maybe we do need them. Maybe guys get too focused on the, um, physical aspects of love. She pointed her chopsticks for emphasis. Haven't you ever heard of loving someone for their mind? It's very poetic, anyway. Uh, maybe you're right. I let her change the topic. I really didn't want to think about it anymore. The hospice felt empty, echoing. It was good on a general level that not all the beds were full, but I felt like something huge and patient filled the extra space. Death sat among the neatly made sheets, waiting. Your hair is growing back, I said. Leanne's head was covered with a soft fuzz, fine as a baby's. We were going to have kids in a couple of years when I got out of school. I know. I've still got the wig, though. She smiled faintly. They had her on a regular morphine drip now, holding back some of the pain. She seemed to be getting translucent, though, thinner and paler, as the thing on the empty beds leaned close. I love you. I love you, too. We said that a lot now. Anything beyond was a risk. I told her about the weather, the news, books I'd started and set aside. I didn't talk about work. I thought about it, but what would I say? What would she say? Well, Jim, I guess if you aren't sure about uploading, I'll just have to die later. Never do today, the sign on my grad school office had said. What you can put off till tomorrow. You know, I said finally. You're not going to remember these last few weeks. Your last backup was before the chemo. I know. It makes it easier. It's like the pain wasn't real, just a side trip. She looked uncomfortable, sadness breaking through the wall of morphine. It's eating me, I know it is, but I can bear it knowing the real me will be whole. I hugged her, glad that I could again even if it was only for a little while. You're still real. You're real to me. I'm glad, but this... She brushed my hand against her cheek. It's just an imitation. It's not what I remember being. It's not what I want you to remember. It's not what I will remember. I can't even get my head around what it was like to be healthy anymore. When I'm dead... I'll have that memory back. I love you, I said. I love you too. She closed her eyes. I'm tired. I sat with my wife, or what was left of her, all night, awake and watching the empty places around her. I came in early to work the next day. Melissa wasn't there yet, and I unlocked the building, turned on the lights and the secretarial computer. 
I checked the clients, who hadn't slept either. They never slept. Two old physicists had gotten caught in a loop, repeating the same arguments about string theory for hours. I broke them up, made them apologize, and sent them to talk with their friends in different parts of the system while they cooled off. After that, I sat alone in the terminal room. With its somber quiet and shadow, it was our Hades, our Sheol, our heaven and hell. Maybe it was the only one we had, or maybe it was a side trip on the way to the real thing. I didn't have the answers. My wife was dying. There was no way around it now. Parts of her were already dead, had been for months. I would never kiss her again, not with the hope and passion that we'd had at the beginning. We'd never share a bottle of wine, discussing the intricacies of our favorite stories, ideas becoming wilder as the night went on. We'd never make love again. I let myself cry, here where no one living would see or hear. Leanne would be dead, but her ghost would live forever, and eventually I, or something like me, would join her. For now, I wiped my eyes and went back to work. Whoa, that's some heavy stuff. The ghost in the machine. Could be a pretty cool future for us. Clearly, corpse-eating robots is a step in the right direction. All right, let's do some story feedback. A couple weeks ago, we brought you episode 120, a doubleheader special featuring two stories by Jeremiah Tolbert, The Fisherman, and A Sandwich Shop at 1am. These stories got a weird mix of love and meh. Representing meh, we have CLP, who said, Both stories were dull. I nearly fell asleep at the wheel. I wish Fox News would have produced these stories. Then they would have been badass. <laughs> Just joking. He didn't say that. But it's true. Every story's better when Fox is telling it. Treeman said, These were nice, but not outstanding. The Fisherman was an intriguing start, but I agree that this could have been, and should have been, developed into a longer story. The Sandwich Shop was fairly moving, actually. We don't have to know why the boy could understand the coyote. It's a fantasy story. And Vance M. liked them both, but said of the Sandwich Shop, It had a lot of emotional weight for such a short tale, which pretty much means the writer did a great job. There was a mixture of kindness and pain that made my mind wonder what part of the story we didn't hear. It was also a bit humorous, since the other employee was totally oblivious and seemed like a real space cadet. Got me thinking, how many other incidents of sorrow and loss go on around us every day that we know nothing about? It's a little disturbing to think that someone or something might be gasping their last breath just around the corner, all alone. Yeah, that's why I like that one too, Vance. High five. Comment on our website and our discussion forums. We love to meet and hear from new listeners. Speaking of which, this week's 100-character TwitFic contest winner, stealing the crown of glory from Phenopath, is... Tim Shoebox Christ. Just published it out on Twitter. It's a blast. Find us and friend us if you haven't yet. Well, hey, that's our show. Uh, mostly. <laughs> I've still got to ask you to drop us a donation if you enjoyed the show, or if you usually do at least. You can do that at our page, drabblecast.org, where you can donate once, or you can subscribe for five bucks a month, and that junk automatically gets ganked from your pretend digital money bin and the magical internet, where the souls of all good geeks go when they die. 
For real, we appreciate your support. We'd have to hang up the towel if you didn't help us out. The Drabblecast is produced under a don't change it, don't sell it, but share it all you like license, which means you can Creative Commons attribution non-commercial it all you like, but don't no derivatives it without running it by us first. We'll catch up with you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Connington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to not get caught up in a loop. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.